the wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 2, Episode 4, It Might Just Be a Land Thing. Hello everyone and welcome. This is Season 2, Episode 4 of The Wind Was a Beginning. We are so glad that you've decided to be back with us for this week as we continue to dive into the second book of The Wheel of Time, The Great Hunt. Uh, Glad to be with you tonight. My name is Justin, one of your uh, hosts here for this show, and I have with me tonight Stephen, who is our uh, resident expert in all things uh, Wheel of Time. He certainly knows more than I ever will. So, Stephen, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. And listeners, you may notice that uh, we are missing a host that has been with us up until this point. Um, uh, Michelle, who has been with us throughout all of season one and the first um, the first three episodes of this season, unfortunately, uh, is not going to be able a- be able to be with us uh, any longer. She has some commitments uh, with work and life that are just kind of taking up too much of her time, and she wanted to step away from the podcast so she could focus on that. So, uh, Michelle, if you're listening, and I hope that you are, uh, we will miss you. Uh, we appreciate all of your contributions uh, up to this point, and. Uh, we'll make sure to keep a check on Narg every now and then and, and see how he's doing. Uh, but other than that, uh, you know, uh, Stephen, we're going to do the best we can with just the two of us. Yep. I think with, with your knowledge and the fact that even though I've, I've read, uh, this book, I've forgotten so much about it except for what I've, uh, reread this go around. Uh, I think we can still put together a good show. So for this week, listeners, we are in chapters 9 through 12 of The Great Hunt. Uh, so if you haven't read those yet, we would encourage you to uh, take a moment, hit the pause button, go and read those four chapters, and then come back and uh, join with us as we discuss, uh, discuss the material from, from those chapters. Uh, Stephen, how you doing tonight, buddy? Hey, I'm doing all right. Uh, just go ahead and give a heads up to uh, to you and our readers. I have uh, been fighting off a bit of a cold over the last six or seven days, so uh, I may have to cough every now and then, guys. So, uh, But I am here, and I'm excited to uh, talk about these chapters tonight. Well, if we need to, we can edit out the coughs as much as possible, but uh, if we can't, we can't, and now everybody knows why. Yep. So, um, uh just being we'll up be, front with you guys, listeners. <laughs> I think we'll be all right, though. Uh, I'm glad, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna be, you know, kind of peek behind the curtain. It's been a little while since we've recorded. Uh, we've kind of, you know, had to take a little bit of a break, and I hope I can remember the stuff that I read in these chapters. 
<laughs> I know so, it. We did take a bit of a break there, but it, it is nice to be back. Uh, yes, it is, and I'm looking forward to um, to to getting into this tonight. And I've got uh, our doc. I've got my personal notes, so maybe those things will jar my memory, and you know, it'll be it won't be too much uh, dead space. And if there is dead space, I can just edit it out. So, uh, so how about we just uh, go ahead and dive right into this one with Chapter 9, Leave Takings. The real great hunt of the horn begins, but not before a final lesson from Lan and an assassination attempt that injures the Amerlin seat and kills an unintended target. Rand learns how Ingtar plans to track their quarry thanks to a special ability of a man named Huron. Meanwhile, in Ilion, where another great hunt is about to begin, Bale Doman is commissioned to smuggle someone from Maeen to Ilion, but soon learns it's a setup, and it may be that one of the rare artifacts that he carries is the reason why. All right, uh, so we covered, I think, everything that we're going to talk about in that summary. I want to start with this this last little lesson from Lan as they're making the preparations. You've got two different parties that are about to set out from Faldara. Uh, there's the party being led by Ingtar, which is going after uh, the dark friends that recently you know, came into the city, stole the Horn of Valir, stole Matt's dagger, uh, Stole Pat and Fane. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're going after them. The other party is the Omerlin's party, which includes uh, Nynaeve, Egwene, Moraine, Lan, and they're heading back to Tarvalin. But Lan takes Rand aside and teaches him this final lesson called Sheathing the Sword. You want to explain that one to us? Yeah, so basically uh, he's saying that there's like a time in every swordsman or every fighter or soldier's life where you have to achieve a goal at all costs and your life is worth the cost. Uh, And so basically it's a move that you can guarantee that you will hit home at your target, but in so doing, you leave yourself completely open to their attack. Basically, you sacrifice your own defense to get a final blow at your enemy. Uh, So it's allowing you basically make yourself too much of a target that the enemy can't resist going at you. And when they do, that leaves them open to you then counterattacking as your final move. So Um, it's like, like you said, it's basically, you know, taking that one last stand. Yep in order to achieve your goal. But I guess it's something that, when the occasion calls for it, has to be done. Yeah, and it's a very land move. Like, honestly, like, land says that there comes a time for all people that the goal might be. Honestly, I think this whole sheathing the sword thing might just be a land thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just imparting this on Duran. Uh, like, land is hardcore. Not everybody is quite to that level. Not to say that there aren't some others, but to me, when I was reading this, I was just like, is that really an everything, an every kind of soldier kind of thing? Or is that more of a Lanism? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we have seen that he, 
is reckless the right word? I mean, can can he be a little reckless, or is it just he's? I don't know. I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Maybe, maybe hard. Maybe hardcore is the word. I'm just thinking about back to when they were in the blight, and you know he keeps, you know, disappearing, doubling back, that kind of thing. He does not hold his life as a precious thing. <laughs> Let's put it that way. That's a good. I think that's a good way to put it. <laughs> he he is probably more prepared than anybody to sacrifice his life if need be for the greater good. Yeah. At some no points, it's almost like he's looking for a reason to sacrifice his life. Yeah. Uh, like he wants that glorious end almost. Like I don't think it's necessarily a pride thing, but I think he values his life in such a way that. If he thinks he can achieve some great victory over the shadow at the cost of his life, then he is full on ready to do that. Yeah. More than most people. Well, I even remember, I think it was um, last, the the last episode we were talking where uh, they were, they were reading that dark prophecy and I forget the character's name, but it turns out he's Lan's cousin. Esam. He's Lan's cousin and Moraine fears that if, if Lan found out there was even the possibility he was alive, he would go charging into the blight yep. without even thinking twice about it. So he definitely is, yeah. um, you know, sometimes maybe even comes off as fearless. Uh, I, I know that yeah. Lan is probably wiser than that, uh, but he's not afraid to do what needs to be done. I think he fears different things than normal people. He fears to not fulfill his duty. He fears to let those that he protects be in, you know, harmed, but he doesn't have that natural fear for his own safety that most people have. Yeah. He doesn't fear death. Yeah. No, not, not at all. I don't think he does that in the least. Not at all. Uh, speaking, speaking of death, someone is still trying to kill people in Faldara. Uh, here's the, Here's the real question, though. There, There is what appears to be an assassination attempt. An arrow comes flying from we know not where. It grazes the Omerlin, hits another, hits and kills basically an innocent bystander. Yeah. But who was really the target? Yeah. Um, so... I, I, I got the impression that... Uh, Lan, or not Lan, Rand, those names are so similar. Uh, <laughs> Rand felt like he was the target and he moved just in time. I'm even, as, as we're talking, I'm even moving, trying to dodge out of the way of an invisible arrow. Um, yeah. <laughs> like he, he thinks that had he not moved, he would have been the one to get hit by the arrow. And I think there is a little bit of evidence to indicate that it was meant for was him intended because for him. Yeah. the Omerlin seems to think it wasn't meant for her. <laughs> yeah. Like she doesn't seem concerned in the least that it was an attempt on her life. Like she's concerned about the poor person who got hurt, who got, who got killed. Yeah. But, I say he, he, uh, he didn't just get hurt because the, yeah. you know, within seconds, uh, I believe it was Liana was checking on him and he's already gone. Yeah. Uh, so, Take your hats off to the uh, unnamed uh, bystander um, who yeah. tragically gave his life in the fight against the Dark One. Uh, we don't know your name, but we'll never forget you. 
That's a lie. I'll probably forget about him. <laughs> it it like the, is interesting. Go ahead. Now, I was going to say, it's it's interesting that there would be an attempt on Rand's life right now because it, like, it doesn't, you know, if we think back to the prologue and like the various orders and things that were given, it doesn't seem to match up with what Balzaman wanted them to do. Like he wants them captured not necessarily killed, is was the gist that we got. So it it is intriguing who necessarily wanted Rand dead at this yeah. exact moment. Hmm. Or was it never intended to hit anyone? Maybe just meant to meant to scare some people or, or yeah. throw 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 a wrench in, in the plans or you know, maybe even to keep people around longer because uh I believe it's Later in this chapter, after or in what we're reading tonight or this week or whatever, that um, I think it's in chapter twelve that Lord Agomar—I knew I'd get the name out in a second. <laughs> Lord Agomar does not want the Amarlin to leave yet uh, until right. they. Fi- Maybe it was just a stalling tactic. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it's interesting you bring that up about the. Uh, you know, the, the meeting at the beginning in the prologue and what the directives from Baalzaman seem to be. Uh, so who, what, what's going on? Is it a rogue agent? Yeah. Uh, is it, you know, it, it's weird because, you know, we, we would think all the dark friends have scarpered, right? You know, we yeah. think they were, they were all gone, but um, who knows? Speaking of those that are gone... Yeah, uh, we know of at least two. At least two, Chengu and Nidao, who were the guards that were there when Rand and Egwene went down to visit uh, the peddler. Yeah. I don't even like calling him the peddler anymore. Uh, he's yeah, the something, guards who something had worse. seemed to grow darker and darker every time yeah. Egwene came to visit. I don't know. I, I still, you know, as I was reading this, I, I still had doubts about, you know, I didn't think they were dark friends. You know, as, as I was reading this, I, I I was still maybe thinking maybe it was something, the influence from Padden Fane or something like that. I didn't have a sense that, you know, they were doing this maybe consciously or, or whatever. If they if they did anything, uh, well, all we know is they're missing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just, you know, it's, it's a curiosity of of where they are. Yeah. No, it does. It is interesting, you know, because there is the possibility. Maybe they were dark friends. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they were influenced by Pat and Fane and that's why they're disappeared. You know, there's a million, or maybe they were innocent the whole time and they just were taken captive. We, we don't know. We, at this we, point, we don't know. You know, and it, it's a lot of speculation and a lot of what ifs. Uh, there's a lot of things. Just leads to there's it. a lot of things we don't know. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of things that I yeah. legitimately don't know, because as I said at the beginning, you know, since the last time I read this book, I've forgotten most of this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's interesting because there are certain things that I remember and I'm still formulating theories based on what I remember. But I don't <laughs> remember enough to say, you know, I oh, yeah, I definitely remember what's going on here. I, I'll mention one of those uh, in a little bit. Let's talk about 
uh, how they plan to find the Dark Friends and Trollocs yes. and Padden Fane. Uh, Huron. Yeah, they're going to get, yeah, our, our boy Huron here. The Sniffer. <laughs> that's a, that's a name. You want to, you want to talk about him? Tell, tell us what it is that he does. Okay. So it's pretty cool. And it's not something, uh, that we've heard any, it just comes out of nowhere. Uh, just kind of like yeah. parent of being a wolf brother and, <laughs> you know, Matt and the old blood and talking in weird languages. This is just another one of those things that is a thing. So uh, he can smell violence or more more exactly, he can smell where violence has been yeah. done and can track it just like a hunter can track prey. Uh, you know, it, it is intriguing. Uh, it's almost like his nose can pick up on the lingering impact of violence upon an object. Uh, it's really kind of cool. It's, it's and I don't. It's kind of weird, but it's kind of cool at the <laughs> same time. Now he's he's not the only person that can do this. We we get hints that there are others that are right. able to do this. Yeah, so it's, it's not something that's unique per se. He he's yeah, just the first one we. It's not either. common. He's the first one that we've met uh, that yeah. is able to do that. You were about to say something else, and I interrupted you. So. Uh, <laughs> oh no! I was just going to say it. It is a. Uh, it's not to do with the power. It's more to do with the pattern, which, in my mind, it almost has a closer connection to men than it does to like channeling. Okay. Because uh, like what men does is sees like threads of the pattern basically, and in a lot of ways, what he's doing is sniffing a specific instance of the, the way the pattern was woven, that violence that hit and impacted the pattern. Uh, so it, it, it's interesting to me how that works on a metaphysics level. You know, is it like a legitimate physical sense that he actually physically smells or does his mind just interpret it like a smell? And it's actually this like sixth sense type thing that he has, uh, you know, those are all good. Who those knows, are all good but... questions. <laughs> I, I have my own question, and that is, what does violence smell like? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing good, uh, you know, because he says basically he's used to the smell of trollocs and fades. You know, living in the borderlands, sure. he knows those smells. He can track those smells, but now he smells something worse. Yeah. <laughs> so what is yeah, that? <laughs> um, I. I have a th I had a thought, and I think we're going to get the answer to that. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> or at least I think we get the answer to that. But uh, we'll, we'll yeah, I, I would I would hedge my bets to say you're probably yeah. right. <laughs> um, but it but it's something that continues to be mentioned. I know we got a little bit more in this chapter, but it continues to be mentioned in the next chapter. There's just this constant reminder that in addition to the Trollocs, addition to uh, the Fade, the Dark Friends, there is something worse that is traveling with yeah. them, and um, yeah, it's not uh, it's not going to be pretty uh, when they find out what it is. So we 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 then switch to a different point of view. 
we switch to a different part of the world. I think we go almost as far south as we can go. We we were as yeah. we were as far north as we could go almost in Faldara. Now we're going almost as far south as we can go in Ilya. Are we in Ilion? Is that right? Uh, yeah. yeah, in Ilion. I mentioned that because so that's we're basically for our for our U.S. listeners, it'd basically be the equivalent of going from like Michigan to Florida. <laughs> I was going to say like maybe Washington State to Florida, but <laughs> I was going to go even further yeah. than that. Um, yeah, it's a long way. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the scale is. Is there a scale on the maps? I don't think there not is. Really? I'd be interested uh, to know. Not on the one that's provided in the book. I'd be interested to know how how far that is, though. We know that it would be months. Yeah, of travel to get from there to there. Like it's not like you know, it's a way. Well, it's gonna, <laughs> it was going to take like what weeks to get from Camelin to. Faldara in the previous. Oh no! It would have taken like two months it, was it, was to get it, was from Camelin to Faldara. It was going to take weeks to get from Camelin to Tarbalan. Okay. okay, so uh, so this is a and Faldara is way further. This is a than big that. world. I mean, yes, granted, they don't have you know the same kind of transportation that we do today, but you yeah. know, still, uh, at least not in this age. <laughs> right, right. Um, I know Age of Legends had some cool stuff. Um, yeah. But he is being, well, you know, we've, we've talked about all along, Bell Doman talks like a pirate. And yes, by his aged grandmother. And, and yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, and basically that's what he's being hired to do or seemingly being hired to do is to be a pirate, to yeah. smuggle someone out of, how do you, how do you pronounce it? May, Mayin or Mayin? Man, there you go. I, I was trying to remember how yep. it was pronounced when I when I listened to it. Um, he's basically being hired to smuggle someone from there, but then he finds out it's a setup. He opens the 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 letter, and this person is a dark friend. You know, uh, take care of them with extreme prejudice. I don't remember what the exact words are. <laughs> yeah, and isn't it interesting who the letter is signed by? Uh, remind me. The King of Cairo. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's not like, oh, this is a letter of warrant from the local magistrate. No, this is a freaking king. Yeah. <laughs> Something. So, or at least somebody wants him to think somebody, it's king. <laughs> Somebody pretending to be the king. Yeah. Or maybe it's really the king. We don't what know. I want to know is what do they have against against him? I mean, what has he done? Well, okay. I, I think we, we get an idea of maybe what's going on. Because he has all these really cool artifacts. Um, yeah. You know. Uh, so he's a collector. He does, he's a, yeah. He, you know, he, he's, he's, he likes to collect objects and mementos. Um, and it just so happens that maybe he collected some that are a little more... Intriguing than others. Well, let's be honest. There's probably one that stands out above the rest. <laughs> I think there are you think, two you think there that are stand two. out. I mean, okay, okay. Two. You know what? One, I, I'll give you that because one of them does sound like another object we've seen before. Um, <laughs> right, let, let's get these out of the way. There's the light stick. Something right. left over from the Age of Legends. It's a, seemingly just a glass rod, but... When you hold it in your hand, it glows. 
So it's like yeah, it, it's basically like a magical flashlight. I mean, say it's like those little things <laughs> that you know we got when we were kids. You know, and you break them and they start to glow. Except this one doesn't yeah. fade away; it just continues to glow. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip one, and you know the skull that he has of a cat as big as a lion, so old it was turned to stone with fangs a foot long. Sounds like you know saber tooth cat. You know, yeah. probably from the age before the age of legends, or maybe even older than that. If it's fossilized, I mean, there ain't no telling. Well, let's face it. If I mean, even if it was probably from you know the age before the age or the age of legends, it would be fossilized by now. But um, yeah. but probably from older than that. But but let's talk about the other two. Uh, there 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 was one, uh, the second one that um, you kind of just brought me around to this. Uh, ivory carving. It's a small mm-hmm. ivory carving of a man holding a sword, and whoever sold it to him claimed that if you held it long enough in your hand, it would start to feel warm. Of course, that hasn't happened yet. Um, what do you think? What do we think that is? I am pretty well convinced that that right there is an onion. Yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing for the male half of the power. Yeah. Well, we know it is too similar to the the little woman statue that Moraine that's has exact, to be a coincidence. That's exactly what I was thinking. It was it was very similar to, and even I think even you know uh, the one that Moraine has isn't it described as being ivory? Mm-hmm. So it's made from the same, or at least at least it appears, appears to, to be, be ivory. ivory. Uh, so that's probably what it is. But yeah. the other one. We, <laughs> yeah, the other one's the obvious. We, we know exactly <laughs> what it is. A disc the size I have these written down. A disc the size of a man's hand, half white and half black, sinuous lines separating the colors. We know exactly what that is. Because yeah. we've seen and one And he even knows that it's made of quaint. Yeah, he know so. he knows what it's made of. We've seen one before. Um we know that there are seven of these, yeah. and now we know where two of them are. <laughs> yeah, and thank the light, at least this one's still in, in one piece. That's true. <laughs> That's true. And he even mentions, you know, I think it's even said, you know, he, he's pretty sure this is what, you know, he's been dealing for a few weeks while he's in Ilion, people, you know, messing with his crew, trying to, you know, take things from his ship, even some of his crew members ending up dead. And yeah. This is he's pretty convinced this is what they're after. Uh, yep. And they, there was also that little detail of the money they paid him off. Oh with. yeah, Tarvalin marks. Every bit of it was Tarvalin marks because they knew he couldn't be he'd be super suspicious if he started spending that with all the white cooks around. <laughs> uh, you had to bring up those guys, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, because they're the worst. They are the worst. Um, we're gonna get that on a t-shirt one day. Um, <laughs> But uh, he, you know, Mayen is to the east of, yeah, east of Ilion, and he decides to go west. (laughs) I would too. Uh, And while that's happening, or we assume it may be around the same time, we know that uh, the great hunt, the ceremonial great hunt is... Getting ready to Setting getting out. ready to kick off yeah. in Ilian, but or Ilion, but the real great hunt 
is about to start in Fall Dara, and that's where we pick up in Chapter 10. Uh, I guess it's already started, because I guess they've already set out, right? Right. But the title of Chapter 10 is The Hunt Begins. And here we have the hunting party continuing on the trail of the Dark Friends, Shadow Spawn, and something worse across the countryside of Shinar and into the unclaimed territories across the river Arenon. And grim discoveries across the river and a strange vision leave Rand and the others with probably more questions than answers. Um, so we already mentioned that something worse is traveling with the Dark Friends and the Shadow Spawn. And before we get into those grim discoveries, once again, um, we get told that Rand looks like an Aielman. Yeah. And, and, and what's, mm. what I like about this one, though, is there's a lot of information. You know, up until this point, we've been reading about the Aiel, and we've heard that name. You know, we don't really know anything about them, but this time we get quite a bit of information about them. We find out this is probably why Masima doesn't like him, uh, because right. he looks so much like an Aielman. But they are a... Um, hardy is not the right word. They are beyond hardy. They are, uh, how would you describe them? Uh, you know, in... They're, 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 they're in, almost superhuman, it seems like. Almost. Um, but I think hmm, they're kind of like this strange combination of several different like warrior societies that we know in our normal cultures. Okay. Like... They're almost like the strange blend of like a Spartan with a Native American with a samurai minus the swords. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah. It's there's this weird blend. Definitely, uh, definitely no swords. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, it's it's very, really strange. There are these basically these people that the rest of the world has almost no connection to. Right. They live off on their own in the waste, right. an area that nobody really wants to go. Well, it, it's even... It, <laughs> and the one time <laughs> that they did come across the Dragon Wall, they almost swept through the entirety of the modern kingdoms yeah. and just went on their way. Yeah, uh, well, you, you mentioned the waste, and it's said about the waste that it, it, it shimmers with heat by day and freezes at night, which we have, yeah. we have places in our world that are like that. You go into a desert and a lot of people who yep. have been there will tell you that that's what it's like. It can be a hundred and something plus degrees during the day and it can be, you know, freezing cold at night just because of the nature of that region, the yep. atmosphere. Uh, you mentioned their military prowess, I guess you could say, uh, or just their, yeah. their, their ability as fighters. Uh, they're, we're told they're the only, uh, the only army that hand, well, handed Arthur Hawkwing his only major defeats uh, during yeah. his time. So, and here's yeah. here's Arthur Hawkwing united most of the world under his banner, and yet he never made it past the way. Like the that was the one thing, the one burr in his bonnet. Like the man was going to take down Tar Valon. <laughs> But the Aiel put him in his place. Yeah, yeah. And I, the thing, uh, the thing that stood out to me, I think, was he, it's mentioned that they can they will run fifty miles 
and then fight a battle at the end of it. And I'm sitting yeah. here, I'm like, man, I'm done after walking one mile. <laughs> <laughs> These cats will walk, they will run 50, fight a battle, and, and you know, they're probably going to beat you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're probably going to be victorious. They are yeah. something something else. And, and, and we still haven't even met any of them yet. No, but we are we are kind of given the the impression, at least, that I'm given from hearing what we have so far, uh, especially in this little section, is in reality, when the Aiel came across the Dragon Wall to go after the King of Kyrian, the only reason that war stopped is because the Aiel got what they wanted and went home. <laughs> it wasn't that the rest of the countries united and tossed them back right. and won. It was that the IEU got what they came for and then went, took their toys and went home. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> so, we even we even get some indication that you know the countries did unite against them, and they yeah, still, they, still didn't they, they couldn't do anything. <laughs> but when, when, like you said, once yeah. the IEU got what they wanted, we're done. And. The Aiel that came and fought against all those countries was not was only a tenth of the full force of the Aiel. <laughs> this is, you know, this is one of those moments that I, I can't say, I shouldn't say anything. Uh, it, Were you going to try and spoil something? I, yeah. I'll keep it quiet. But then hold your tongue. Yes, it, it makes me think about um, just and you know, just thinking about what a powerful force this is, uh, yeah. and how intimidating it must be. Oh yeah, I'll say I'll say that. Um, uh, let's talk about these grim discoveries. Okay. Well, it starts in. The village on the near side of the Aranen, where everybody's gone. Like, the entire town is empty. Uno thinks he sees a woman standing in a window, yeah. but she kind of just disappears when he goes to search it out. Um, Perrin yeah. thinks the place smells wrong, which is kind of, you know, kind of putting Huron on edge, thinking about that. I, I don't know. Uh, exactly. Yeah, Perrin right. keeps mentioning how things smell, and every time he does, Huron kind of cocks his head like, yeah. wait, I'm the one who's supposed to smell I, I, stuff. I, What's going on? That's <laughs> kind of the impression I got. He's just kind of, like, that's my job, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. They cross the river. Well, first, Ingtar sends a couple of men across, including Ragan, and he comes back clearly shaken, and when they get across the river, we find out why. Um, and we find out where Chengu and Nidao are, or were, or what happened. Right. Um, this is pretty brutal. Uh, yeah. You know, they're, well, I mean, if you've read it, you know what it is. They're found hanging in a tree. They've been skinned, and there's yeah. indication that it started they weren't dead when it started. Oh no. So they've so they've been brutalized. Tortured. Yeah. And we don't really get an answer about, you know, where their allegiances lie. 
Uh, no. Inktar gives Most them... Most people are convinced they're dark friends, but Inktar is convinced they at least deserve to be a... Buried. Yeah, he gives them a, a, a proper Shinaran burial, uh, yeah. which I think is honorable that he would do that, even, even with some doubts about their loyalties. He still gives them... Maybe it was it just a just in case kind of thing, you know, because he, yeah. he would he would hate well, he, he would hate for them to not receive that honor if they were still on the side of the light. I think that's yeah, where he's and he coming even makes from. the point that just weeks ago in Tarwin's Gap, they saved Lord Agomar's life. Yeah. So, you know, they at least deserve the benefit of the doubt, basically. Yeah. yeah. So um which I think is 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 good of him. I think it's honorable. Yeah. I think it, it certainly is. It's cer- certainly an honorable thing um, for him to do that. Uh, but uh, that's not the only thing that we find. No, it is they not. come to another village, and there's, there's something that happens with Rand, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but they find something else that, that may be even worse. You know, it, maybe not as brutal, as what happened to the two Shinarans, but... I would say it's not as brutal, it's just straight out terrifying. It, it, I was going to say it's more <laughs> it, it's it's more frightening. It definitely has a bigger <laughs> impact that yeah. we find a Merdral nailed to a door in, in like the city square. Or maybe, I guess they, yeah. it was like a, you know, government or town hall type building. He's... Nailed to a door. And again, indication is he was probably alive when it started to happen. Yeah. And the, the, the real question is, you know, we, we've seen, you know, Murdral are pretty powerful, pretty yeah, strong. That's putting it mildly. Yeah. What, you know, they're strong, fast, capable. I mean, the Trollocs are afraid you know. of them. Yeah. Most people are rightfully afraid of them. So what in the world yeah. could have done this? <laughs> what indeed? What indeed? Yeah, it, it's uh, <laughs> it's very interesting, and I have a feeling we know who it is, but we won't. Well, I'll say that. even at this point, yeah, you know, we we find out really in the next chapter. Um, but I think even yeah. at this point, we had an idea before we read that that next chapter. So yeah, but we'll we'll save that for when we get there. Let's talk about this this weird vision. That Rand has. Do you you want to explain it? Because I'm still kind of confused on it. <laughs> um, so I know what it is, but it hasn't been really revealed in the series yet, so I can't go into incredible detail um, on behalf of our readers because I don't want to spoil stuff for them. Um, so basically, without going into what's causing it, Rand is for a minute there trapped in like a time loop basically where he's just watching the events that happened in that room over and over and over and over um and at the last there like he feels like basically he's feeling entropy like he's getting cold he's like i think he would have died and they would have just found his body frozen to death and dead in that room if it weren't for the fact that at the last minute he reaches out to the one source okay uh, uh, and I, breaks whatever was holding him there. Yeah. So, so you you think he was he was trapped in that space? Yeah. For for that period of time. Yeah. Okay. And it's revealed that it's only like almost like a breath 
Yeah. When he comes back, it's like the stuff that was going on, nobody else, like there was no passage of time really, maybe a few seconds. Uh, but for Rand, he's just seeing it over and over and over and over, like a Groundhog Day, like time loop type thing. It just keeps resetting. Yeah. And every time it resets, the flies get stronger, the cold gets stronger. I, I remember I remember as I was reading it, I kind of had to go back and be like, wait, didn't I just read this? <laughs> yeah. But it was intentional. That that was what was going on. He was kind of reliving that moment over and over again, which is very strange. Yeah. And, and, and kind of creepy. Yeah, we're not given a reason for it to happen yet. And Rand kind of wonders if he's going mad or uh, what's happening. But then at the same time, in his mind, he does also somewhat connect that a lot of weird things have been happening to him. There was the air on the... Uh, the tower top, there was the unseen eyes in the keep, and now this. So in his mind, he's kind of connecting these things, but we're not given a reason necessarily that this has happened. And then he's also wondering if it has anything to do with the tower. So it, there's a lot of different things going on here. So you'll just have to, when, when we figure out what this actually is, you'll have to remind me. Sure. Uh, <laughs> that this is, yeah. that, that strange vision that Rand had that I'll probably forget by then, but... Oh, no, no worries. Yep, as yep. soon as what yeah. it is is revealed in the series, I'll call everybody's attention to it. So listeners, you can be looking forward to that in the future, too. Yeah, you, so. you, you, that's what we have you here for. <laughs> <laughs> and your extensive knowledge of so much about these books. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, shall we move on to Chapter 11? I think it's time. All right. Chapter 11, Glimmers of the Pattern. Still trying to come to grips with the gruesome scenes he had witnessed in the village, Rand receives a uh, gift from Moraine, and he also <laughs> learns that should Ingtar fall, he will be in charge. Well, when Matt and Perrin see Rand with the dragon banner, Perrin figures out that Rand can channel, and Matt wants no part of it. Meanwhile, to the south, we learn what something worth, something worse is, as Padden Fane reminisces about how he became what he is now, how he relished nailing the Murdral to the door, and as he lies down to sleep, the ruby-hilted dagger and the horn of Valir nearby, he realizes that he cannot sense Ran, and wonders if it might be one of the boy's vanishing tricks. Okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, so you you wrote something in here about Rand being compared to an Aiel man again. Is that did that happen again in this chapter or? It does. Uh, it, it's when uh, at the very beginning of the chapter when Ingtar brings the package to Rand, he's asking about. Why Masima? This is actually the section uh, where he finds out why Masima doesn't like him. Oh, okay. So, okay. Uh, it kind of blurs all together in yeah. the last in the last chapter and this chapter. But that's why that I was bringing that up there okay. because we're we're just it's just reiterating it one more time. Yeah, Rand looks like he's IU. It keeps <laughs> it keeps coming up over and over again. So there's got to be something to it. Uh, yeah, and if we take what Moraine said to be the truth, then he is yeah. an IU. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and and you know, as far as we know, Moraine can't lie. Uh, she can 
Tell she the can't truth. lie, but the truth she tells may not be the truth and you say, think you hear. She, she can tell <laughs> truths in a certain way that makes it, yeah. Um, yeah. This Once again, we have this mystery woman that Uno thinks he's seeing. And I have a theory about who this is. <laughs> and I can't say it because it would be a spoiler. Um, and <laughs> again, that world. <laughs> that's, that, yeah, I know that's based on what I do remember from, from, from this book. I'm kind of remembering some, something that happens a little bit later. And I, I, I think I, I know, um, I know what's going on here, but, but once again, we keep seeing this woman, uh, and when, just when we think we're going to find her, she disappears. Yeah. Um, I was thinking too about the, the gift that, <laughs> <laughs> that Rand received. It was like, did, did anybody not know as soon as he, you know, took that package? Did anybody not know what it was? I mean, yeah. come on. Especially when it starts talking about how it's, you know, it's soft and, and, you know, it's something soft inside. Uh, you yeah. knew exactly what it was. I guess the bigger surprise was finding out that, you know, Rand is pretty much second in command. Yeah. Uh, if if Ingtar falls, Rand takes over. Uh, and yeah, it it's very clear that what's happening here is that the Oberlin and Moraine let Rand choose his own path and go his own way, but they're going to do everything they can to make sure he goes and does what they want and think he needs to be doing. You know, there is a lot of manipulation going on here. I, I may have said it when we discussed those chapters and I don't know if it was the last episode or the one before, but I know I definitely written it down somewhere that, uh, Rand thought he heard he can go wherever he wants, but that's not what they said. You yeah. know, they, they gave him options and, you know, they weren't really that, you know, that yeah. different. Um, he's not free. No. He's he's not as free. As, and, and, and I think with this, he's, he's starting to realize it. Uh, he's not as free as he thinks he is. And, you know, I can almost see it from the Aes Sedai's point of view. You, you can't just let this... Yeah. This, yeah, this, they spent too long trying to get a hold of him just to let him run, run off into the yeah. wilderness and not be seen again. Well, well not only that, uh, not only that, he's he's dangerous. Yeah. On his own, he is, number one, he's a man who can channel, which is dangerous in its own right. Uh, he's untrained because there's nobody who can train him. Right. He's, I'll say it, he's young. Yeah. You know, foolish in some ways. I'll also say it's it's a pretty ballsy move on Moraine's part to trust Inktar not to peek at that package. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying like uh, I, I mean didn't even if think he about took that. one if he took one peek inside that package, I mean, Perrin will make that point here in a little bit that if Inktar and them found out what he is or who he could do They'd probably kill him dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about Perrin and Matt's reaction uh, to finding out yeah. what Rand is. Perrin, of course, you know, makes comments like the one that you meant you just mentioned. Um, Matt wants nothing to do with it. Yeah, and and I think some people here 
will give Matt a lot of slack for like abandoning his friend or not being a good friend here or anything like that. And I don't buy that. I think Matt is for the first time in this entire series actually being a little wise and using his brain here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not that he, you know, he thanks Rand for the fact that he chose to come with them because he wanted to help Matt. Like Matt is appreciative of that. But at the same time, he's not an idiot. He doesn't he knows what happens when men can channel. They go crazy, they kill the people around them, yeah. they do horrible, horrible things. Yeah. <laughs> he's just being smart <laughs> and doesn't <laughs> for, want to get killed. <laughs> for for once for once in his life, Matt's not being a wool headed idiot. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think Perrin is tempered because Perrin himself has been going through changes and he's unsure of himself. He he doesn't understand all of what's happened to him. And I think so that tempers how he reacts a little bit here in that he's willing to give Rand a little more of a breathing room yeah. because he knows he didn't choose to, to have the whole wolf connection. It right. was kind of thrust upon him and Rand didn't choose to channel. It's just happening. Yeah. You know, I was, he's not being, you yeah, know. I, I was about to ask you, do you think he is empathizing a little bit with Rand? Yeah. To, to to an extent, obviously, the Wolf Brother thing and being a man who can channel are not the same. But I think there is enough similarity, at least in the way it's happening to the two of them. That that and and yeah. and you get that sense that Perrin is, you know, being really introspective. And and some of the things he says, you almost wonder who is he really talking to. Yeah. Is he talking I think it, is he talking to Rand or is he talking to himself? Right? Yeah, I think I think Perrin is spending most of his time right now in his own head. I think so too. <laughs> uh you know, and this is just one more thing that's just got like at first, yeah, he's thinking about Rand, but then as the longer he thinks, the more he's inner inner reflecting on everything that's happening to him all over again. Yeah. And I think it's just this cycle in his head right now in dealing with everything and you know, it's, this is just one more thing. Yeah, it's interesting. That's kind of interesting to me. I just, I just thought about this, but it, it almost felt, you know, maybe early. I guess towards the end of book one, it almost felt that Perrin was kind of starting to accept it a little bit more. Yeah. But, but now he's 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 drawn back, and maybe it's you know spending so much time in Faldara Keep where he's you know, not out there in the wilds where the wolves are. He's kind of drawn back from it a little bit. But I find that kind of interesting that he's kind of, you know, he was getting closer to accepting it, and now he's kind of backed off from that a little bit, which I, I don't think he ever fully accepted it. No. You know, but he seems like he's reverted a little bit, kind of back into even fearing it, or at the very least fearing somebody finding out what he is. Um yeah. Cause well, you know, we we had that final fight in the blight before they actually made it to the eye, and he's really kind of just letting that animalistic side take control as they're fighting the Trollocs and as they're fighting the blight itself. Yeah, you know, he really kind of surrenders to it and is just letting that animalistic side just really take front seat, take the wheel on things. And I think maybe what we're seeing is. 
after all of that, they get back to Faldara at the end of the last book, and they spend some time here. I think what you're seeing is probably him trying to come to terms with that experience. Mm. And, like, being now around civilized people again, not out running for his life in the wilderness, he's had time to really internalize and think more on what exactly it means. I think the the time that he spends in Faldara just gives him too much time to think and be stuck in his own head. Yeah, interesting. Uh, should we shift to another point of view again? Yeah, I uh, think so. I, don't, I think we've pretty much covered everything with uh, yeah, and Rand I, right now. I, I don't really want to be in Padden Fane's head, <laughs> but here we are. And but how much... How much of this head is still Pat and Fane? Uh, I don't know. I still feel like there's there, there's a good bit of him still there. I I, I feel like I feel like it is. I, I just there, it's there's a lot of bad things going on there, though. <laughs> uh, we we find yeah. out. I mean, we mentioned this in the summary, but we find out what happened to the Murdral back in the village. Uh, yeah. it was Pat and Fane that took care of that, and um. You know, almost seemed he enjoyed it. Oh yeah, he enjoyed it. And the reason it, we even get get kind of the reason was, you know, there was kind of some infighting between Fane and the Murdral. That's the reason uh, we didn't mention it. But when they first start on the trail, the trail keeps shifting because yeah. the Murdral would want to head back to the Blight, and Fane would say, "No, we're heading to the south." Uh, so it kept yeah, kind of shifting back and forth. I guess it's not going to be doing that anymore now, but... Uh. Yeah, it's interesting because it, it seems like... Because, all right, so one of the ways that Murdral control the Trollocs is by establishing a link. So they're, like, mentally connected, and okay. they can control the Trollocs. It seems like, to me, reading this, that what's happening is that basically Padden Fane and the Murdral, like, Padden Fane was disrupting that and superseding that. So, like, basically, the Murdral would be in charge for a little while, then Pat and Fane would hoist control of the Trollocs away from the Murdral and make the Trollocs go a different direction. And then the Murdral would get control again, and they'd go another direction, and it'd back and forth until Pat and Fane finally got strong enough that he just took care of the problem himself and got rid of the other boss. Yeah, that, that, guy, <laughs> that guy's got to go. Too many, too many chiefs uh, in the tribe, yeah. um, or too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, got to get that guy out of here. And that's exactly what he does. Um, yeah. And he enjoys it. Oh yeah. He enjoys it. And, and then we, uh, you know, the Trollocs are afraid of him, uh, which he killed him. <laughs> so. he, he killed a Murdral. <laughs> I would be afraid of him too. The dark friends that are with them are afraid of him and the Trollocs. The uh, dark friends that are with him are terrified out of their minds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like this is not what they signed up for. <laughs> yeah. One, one interesting, uh, little tidbit we get, and I, I don't know why I didn't put this on the dock is we find out that though they have the horn in their possession, they can't open the chest. Right. Cause so, it's a trick. So it's, it, at least we know that for now it's still safe. Yeah. Uh, relatively so. I mean, I guess if they somehow figured out how to open it, you know, it wouldn't be so good, but uh, right now they don't know how. What I want to talk about is this Fane and the dagger, mm-hmm. because it's, obviously it's the same dagger that 
that Matt had. It's the ruby hilted dagger from Shatter Logoth. Um, is I don't. You may not be able to answer this, but is Padden Fane connected to the dagger now in the same way or a similar way that Matt is? Because I, uh, I kind of got that vibe that he somehow had. Um, you know, even it, it says that he said it, the dagger feels like part of him, and he was so, whole within himself now. Yeah, here uh, is, I don't know how much you can tell us. <laughs> I think I can tell you some. Um, so here is what I will say. For Matt, the dagger is like a parasite. So it is something that has infected him and bonded with him, almost like if you're a Marvel fan, like a symbiote. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's attached to him. He can't get rid of it without it killing him. It's not really doing any good for him, but he is stuck with it. Padden Fane, on the other hand, so for Matt, that dagger is a tiny piece of the evil of Mordith and Shatter Logoth. Mm-hmm. What Padden Fane is now is Padden Fane himself is a piece of the evil that was in Shatter Logoth. Mm. Varen makes the point, you know, that with that, that basically with him having the dagger, that the evils of Shatter Logoth would be released upon the world all over again. So basically, whereas the dagger for Matt is this splinter of an evil that causes him, it's like an infection. For Padden Fane, he literally is now, as a part of himself, part that of that evil. And the dagger is just like another piece. So think of it like Mordith and Shatter Logoth is like this large mass of evil. What happened to Padden Fane in Shatter Logoth uh, grafted a part of that evil onto Padden Fane. Just like the Dark One twisted him and made him something different. Shadow Logoth twisted him and made him something even more different, combined and mixed with what the Dark One did. Uh, so he is by himself part of that evil now. And the dagger is just another one of the puzzle pieces. So it's like you had a little peak splinter of the Shadow Logoth evil, you had another one over here, and now that the two of them together, you've got twice as much of that evil. So something, it's like, some, something worse. Yeah. The <laughs> dagger is. Basically, it's like multiplying the amount of that evil, horrible uh, taint that existed in Shadow Logoth. You had a little bit of it in Patton Fane. You had a little bit of it in the Dagger. You have a whole lot of it in Shadow Logoth. Yeah. But now you have a little bit more of that concentrated evil from Shadow Logoth existing because Fane and the Dagger are together. Mm. And that that evil is the evil that killed an entire nation and made it so that Murdral and Trollocs won't go into the city. <laughs> I, I'll say it again. Something worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I guess some of that explains why, you know, he, he mentions that the blade is a better guard than Trolloc or human. Like, nobody yeah. will come near him or near the blade. Uh, without his command, and even then they would do it reluctantly, so... Yeah, and they mention, we're not given explicit instruction as to what happened when he did it, but we are told that 
bad things happen if he cuts you with that dagger. Something happens like, when it is he not, uses it. Yeah. It is not like a normal cut. Yeah, <laughs> Something some, happens, and yeah. it's got them terrified. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he, there's this other little thing that closes the chapter about Althor's vanishing trick. And it even it even goes... I feel like we might be able to say more about this next week. <laughs> uh, but... Um, you know, but but you know what? Let's just talk about that next week. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Let Let's talk about that a, a little bit more because I have All some right. questions, but I feel like we need to to get in get, get into the next chapters before hey. I ask those. Not questions. a problem. So we'll just make a footnote of it, and we'll bring it back up next week. It's yeah. Not a big deal. So I, I I'll make sure to put that in the doc for next week. So so chapter twelve, uh, yep. woven in the pattern. We're going back in time a little bit. Uh, a few days to yeah. the day when the two parties set out from Faldara. So, so, so days earlier, in the wake of what is believed to be an attempt on her life, the Amarlin prepares to leave Faldara and make for Tarvalon. During the journey, Egwene and Nynaeve receive private lessons from different Aes Sedai each night. Uh, but as they reach the river, Egwene learns that Moraine, Leandrin, and Varen have all left. Egwene has been dreaming of Rand and believes that her dreams mean that he is in danger. Uh, Anaya Sedai is convinced that they're just nightmares, but admits a slight possibility that they could be something more. So real quickly, let's, let's talk a little bit about these private lessons. Right. Uh, we, we, we do get, you know, we learn, I think quite a bit, uh, you know, I guess before we get to that, there's there's a little bit of the, you know, the leaving of Faldara, the whole back and forth between Agamar and the Amarlin. She's insistent on leaving. He's insisting that she stay. But it's not very long that they're on the road before. Uh, I believe the first one to come is Varen right. to to give to give primarily to give private lessons to Egwene. But she says that Nynaeve might as well stick around, too. Yeah, she's. I think she's she's there just as much for Nynaeve as she is for Egwene. She just knows that if she says that out, Varen is a smart that, cookie. Yes, she and is. And she knows how Nynaeve is going to react already. That's and true. So she, I think Varen is playing Nynaeve the entire think, time. So, so you think you <laughs> think it was really for both of them? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, which is which? I guess that makes sense because these exercises, um, Egwene has already been doing. You know, Moraine has already taught her a little bit of this. Yeah. So so I guess it is just much for Nynaeve, which we find out a little bit more about Nynaeve's situation. Uh, her being what many would call a wilder. Yeah. Someone who, is it is it that they, they learned to channel or they just started channeling? So a wilder is someone that is untaught by the tower who went who either by usually it would be somebody with the innate ability because otherwise you're not going to learn to channel unless you seek out a teacher. Right. So if somebody that is born with the ability to channel who eventually comes in contact with the source and without consciously understanding it, their body makes it through the change and establishes a rough control enough to keep them from dying. Right. And then they are able to channel, but it is on an unconscious 
uncontrolled level where she like sometimes she heals people when it does better than others. She doesn't have any control over it, but her subconscious has established a way to control it and keep her alive. Okay. Um, so it's 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 actually harder for somebody who was a wilder to learn how to openly embrace and use uh, Sidar because they have to break down their body's own mental blocks right. <laughs> that the subconscious has put in place to keep them safe. Uh, as opposed to somebody like Egwene or somebody who's going to be taught from to touch the sorcerer from the beginning, they don't have that wall. Uh, so, but it is also said that some of the strongest and most talented Aes Sedai were wilders. Sure, sure. Because there is that extra level of adversity and things that they had to go through to become Aes Sedai. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah. Uh, and well, we already know that, um, you know, well, I, I think the way it was put is that Egwene, and it's also mentioned, I think, in passing, that Elaine, who we've only kind of met in passing, but... Uh, yeah. That they both have the ability to be some of the most powerful Aes Sedai in centuries. Nynaeve is like a roaring fire next to their candles, I think is the analogy that was used. Yeah. So if they're, so, if they're like more powerful than any Aes Sedai that's been seen in, in, in centuries, you know, they're on, on one level. And Nynaeve, her potential is on a whole other level far and above beyond what they are, it sounds like. Yeah, so Egwene and Elaine, power level, at least what, the, you know, they could obviously become more powerful. It's possible. But from what their their innate spark, they, if with training, they could be two of the most powerful Aes Sedai in thousands of years. Yeah. Nynaeve's ability, innate ability, is more on par with a channeler in the Age of Legends. Mm. Like, the the power scaling uh, between Egwene's potential and where Nynaeve is at is so vastly different. Um, like Egwene would be very powerful at her full potential at this point. Basically, Nynaeve would be. I mean, we're, we're it's off the charts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are there are parallels as far okay. as power, but none of them I can make so far. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, hmm. There are things I could compare her to, but nothing that we've been revealed yet. Hmm. So, needless to say, <laughs> you could get ten ten Egwene's and one Nynaeve. That's in, uh, that's that's insane to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, her power level compared to the others is is significantly bigger. Yeah. Uh, but she can't control it. Like honestly, if you were to if they were to fight, Egwene would probably trounce Nynaeve because at least at this point, Egwene has a modicum of control, right. a tiny bit, and she can't do much with it. But that's way better than Nynaeve. Sure, Nynaeve has sure. no conscious control. <laughs> she can set blankets on fire. Not on purpose. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> she got angry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I do find it kind of interesting that it's a different sister every night and I don't know if there's something to read into that, but, but it does give you, uh, I guess some glimpses into, 
some of these other sisters, especially when Leandrin is there to teach yeah. them. Uh, she doesn't do so much teaching as she does grilling them interrogating. about, yeah, interrogating them about Rand and the others. Um, so, you know, there's that little bit. I don't know. Did we get any real detail about other other sisters? I know, uh, not about the- like anything specific to like Isa die. We got some information about like the individuals, sure, and the personalities and, yeah. and things, but we didn't get much in the way of like. Oh, we learned more about this Aja because this person was like, we didn't get a whole lot of that. Yeah. We just get a little bit more of Leandrin being Leandrin. Yeah. From what we've already seen from her. So. Um, but then she's up and gone. Yeah. Along with Moraine and Varen, and nobody knows where. Yeah. And I don't really <laughs> the think. The Armorland's in a right state about yeah, it. <laughs> I don't really think anybody knows why either. No. You know, they're, they're, yeah. just, they're just gone. Yep. So, and, and, and the, Moraine was supposed to be headed back to Tarvalin for punishment. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and the reason we find out they're gone is because Egwene has been having uh, dreams that she thinks um, she thinks mean that Rand is in danger. She's interpreting them that way. So I, I guess she turns to. Uh, one of the first people she can, and that's uh, Anaya, who yeah. is who Blue Aja, right? She's Blue Aja. Okay. She's Chatty Cathy. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's what we called <laughs> her uh, in the previous episode. Um, she is by far the most uh, personable and friendly Aes Sedai we have yet to meet. <laughs> <laughs> so she's got that going for her. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I get, I got the impression that... Overall, she ultimately thinks uh, Egwene's just having nightmares. Yes, but, but she, she's not willing to fully discount that there could be something going on. Well, tell us, what else could be going on? She could be a dreamer. And what does that mean? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we don't really know We yet. don't really know yet. <laughs> we, we, we do know, uh, she does mention that it, it has possibly some ties to foretelling. Uh, so, you know, Anaya yeah. mentions that. And also I think, um, it's been a long time since there was a dreamer in yeah. the tower. I don't remember how long. I think, I think it's like since the Trolloc Wars. So. Or maybe not that long. It might've been several hundred years or something like that. I, I was, I was, yeah, I was it, thinking at least a few, at least a few centuries. Yeah. It, it's not a recent thing. There hasn't been one in a long while. It's been a, it's been a, a good, uh, 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 it's been a hot minute. Yeah. Since there was a dreamer in the yeah. tower. But these dreams, I mean, we don't really get a whole lot. Um, we do see Baalzaman. Yeah. We we know who it is. Egwene does not, yeah. it seems. But he knows who she is. <laughs> he knows who she is. There's even that moment where, you know, he sees her, it seems. Yeah. And then disappears. Almost like he's almost like he was surprised to see her. I so, think he was surprised, but not like he didn't feel threatened at all, I don't right. think. But I think he was shocked to see her appear, basically. And then there's there's this this woman who is just standing over Rand, mm-hmm. kind of creepy like, and something just clicked. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I'm remembering something, or maybe I'm just formulating a theory. But I can't say what it is because uh, there's there's stuff that hasn't been revealed yet. Well, uh, we do know there is one thing we can point out here. 
What's that? She sees a woman standing over Rand, and she feels like it's trouble. Like she, she does. Is, yeah, yeah, she feels like that. So back in, uh, you, I guess it was in the last episode. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the Dark Prophecies. Yes. And uh, there was a specific Forsaken who was mentioned in those prophecies. Yep. And there, Moraine did not like it. And that is one Little Miss Land Fear. Yep. <laughs> That's so. kind of where I'm going. Although we don't really at this point have anything to confirm that. Oh, no. It's not, we can't confirm or deny um, it right now, but... Uh, but that's kind of where I'm leaning. But there's some other things that that I'm wondering about too. But I can't talk about them just yet. <laughs> there's this there's this moment in the dream that in like a sudden flash of light, the two they're gone. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's pretty mysterious. Um, yep. Yeah, it's very interesting. It kind of leaves on a nice little cliffhanger it there. It does. It really does. Like, <laughs> what in the world is going on? Why can why can Fane not sense Rand? I guess this is going to be my final thought. Um, you know, why can't Padden Fane sense Rand? What is Althor's vanishing trick, as he calls it, which we agreed to talk about next week? Uh, is this mysterious woman uh, Lanfear? Uh, is there something strange? What, what's going on here? You know, what's going on with there's so, these chapters left us with more questions than answers. Yeah, I think the only answers we got are what happened to Changu and Nidal and what happened to the Murdro. Those yeah. are the only answers we got. <laughs> the rest yeah. were questions. Oh, we we also find out why they're after somebody's after Bail Doman, but um, yeah. <laughs> everything else is questions. Yeah. So, and that's uh, the name of the game for this book series. It, We're just going to get questions and questions and questions until the final chapter. <laughs> however, you know, five years from now, when we're reading the last book, we're going to be reading something, and Stephen's going to say, "Hey, you guys remember this that happened all the way back in book one?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, you joke, but there and, will be stuff like that. And I'm going to say, no, I don't remember that, but go ahead and tell me about it anyway. <laughs> so other than that, um, no white cloaks in these chapters. No. And that's and no all. Narg. No Narg. Uh, no Narg. Um, I don't know if we'll ever see Narg again. <laughs> I, I, I figure we'll see white cloaks again and, you know, you know, they are what they are. So, yeah. you have any final thoughts to share with us? Uh, not not really. Uh, I think there's a lot of buildup in these chapters and a lot of new things introduced. We you, get sniffers. We get you can you know, say something strong again. enough to kill a murdral. We get whatever that weird vision is. We get training with the Aes Sedai. We get dreams. We there's a lot packed into these couple of chapters. You can and, uh, say that I just again. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm already looking forward to next week. Um, and those next few chapters. So, oh yeah, uh, you know, we might uh, just have to specifically the first chapter of the next episode. I think you guys are really going to want to listen into this one because it is a, uh, it is fun. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and I'll tell you what, some of that you're going to have to definitely take the reins on because it's out of my pay grade. But uh, <laughs> anyway, listeners, that's something to look forward to next week uh, as we discuss chapters thirteen through fifteen. But uh, that's next week. 
For now, we want to thank you for joining us for this week's episode, uh, where we've been discussing chapters 9 through 12. And just want to remind you that new episodes are released every Tuesday on uh, your podcast platform of choice. We would really encourage you, the best thing you can do to make sure that you get every episode is to subscribe. That way, when new episode is released, it comes straight to your podcast feed and it's, it's right there, ready for you to listen to when, when, when you're ready to listen to it. Uh, in addition to that, though, we would love it if you would give us a rating, uh, if that's possible, wherever you listen. I know not all platforms allow that, but give us a rating, give us a review, especially. That is so helpful to get our name out there so that other people can listen to us, join us on this fun ride. We've still got a long way to go. Uh, it wouldn't take that oh, yeah. long to to get caught up with us. So, uh, you know, share this with your friends, share this with, uh, you know, on social media, but but leave us that review because that'll help a lot as well. Speaking of social media, uh, interact with us there. We're on Twitter and Instagram. We're on Facebook. Uh, we have a YouTube presence, so you can you can find us there as well. Uh, Twitter is at Wind Beginning. Instagram is The Wind Was a Beginning. Facebook and YouTube is The Wind Was a Beginning, a Wheel of Time podcast. So you can reach out to the, us on those platforms, and we'll be glad to chat with you, maybe hear some of your theories, questions, uh, whatever it is you want to share with us. We'd be glad to interact with you and uh, you know get to know you, our listeners, uh, through those mediums. You can also email us at thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com. Uh, once again, next time, uh, we're going to be in chapters 13 through 15 of The Great Hunt. So between now and next Tuesday or the next episode, make sure you, you read those chapters so that when you get here for the next episode, you'll be ready to go and dive right in to uh, all the fun stuff that, that we're going to be talking about. So uh, until then, I guess we'll say uh, so long for now and hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week. Night, everybody.